This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Good morning, everybody. It is good to see everybody online. We currently have 91 families logged in online. Guys, continue to share. Hopefully you got the links to give online. Also, our online connection card. We've posted it several times in the last couple of minutes on the Facebook feed. Jump over and fill out the connection card so we can know who's watching. If you are watching, and uh, some of you are, we're at 96 right now, so some of you are incognito and haven't commented yet. So if you are watching online, please put up your name. Say, hey, we are here. Give us a little wave in hand. Tell us that you're, uh, tell us that you're watching. And we uh, definitely, definitely appreciate that. So, uh, so guys, we are going to uh, continue in. Um, it is Palm Sunday, so again, happy Palm Sunday as we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the week of his, uh, of his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, unfortunately, we can't be together for this special time, but, uh, but we are together via live stream. There is no distance in the spirit, and, uh, and so we feel you guys, we feel your presence, and we thank you for being with us. Um, I wanted to mention um, our live stream has been working really well. As I said last time, a few minutes ago, for the last couple of weeks, we've had 85 to 100 um, families watching at any given time during our service. And, um, and guys, we have had literally thousands of people view our services. It's amazing how this is getting the word out there to the world. But, um, but it is a crazy, unprecedented time that we are living in. And I just wanted to re-emphasize re to you guys again, like I did two weeks ago, that our vision is the same. We are here to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose through community, discipleship, and outreach. And really, it's only our methods that have changed. As Pastor Shauna was just saying, we're live streaming our service. Our youth are live streaming and uh, their services and events over Zoom. Uh, we're, um, our, our ministry school is doing the same. We're encouraging our community groups to keep improvising, and many of them are using Facebook Live or Zoom. Our prayer team is still meeting over a conference call on Sunday mornings. Our Harvest Kids have their own Facebook page, and they're posting lessons and different activities and, and even crafts and things that you can participate in. And so things just look a little different at the moment. But guys, we're going to get there. This too shall pass. We will come to an end. We will be back together. We will be able to hug each other's necks and say hello and, and, uh, and be able to spend some time together. Remember, don't give in to the panic and the fear. Sean and I drove by on the way to church this morning. We drove by Piggly Wiggly and saw the line out across the parking lot at 8.45 on Sunday morning. Crazy. Guys, do not panic. Do not fear. We serve the Prince of Peace. He has not given you a spirit of fear. We serve a great and powerful God. And I pray that you guys are reaching out and you're making a difference. You're making some phone calls. You're checking on friends and family. Pray that you are being the hands and feet of Jesus. And hopefully, hopefully you have reconnected with your family, your immediate family like never before. I, you know, it's easy to gripe and complain, but, you know, we have just recognized our kids are all at home in the middle of this crisis. At least we're able to have them at home and hold them close. And I think we have played, 
I think we have played more games in the last two weeks than we have played in the past year. It seems like every night we get together some kind of board game or card game or something, and, uh, you know, we're a, we're a competitive bunch. But, uh, but we have really been, been spending some time together, watched a few movies and done different things. And so um, just remember, connect with your family, count your blessings, feed your faith, not your fear, dig into the Word, get it down deep, know what it says, know who you are. Uh, pray and lift up our nation, lift up our leaders, uh, lift up the church, and, uh, and everything else in the midst of all this. Um, guys, Sean had mentioned that we, uh, a couple weeks ago, that we had joined the Church United, and it, any of you who haven't done that, it's the churchunited.tv. You can go, and it's a collaboration of us and other churches in the, in DeSoto, mainly in the DeSoto County area that have gathered together, and, and we've posted encouraging videos and, and different things together in that. The Church United is also serving uh, the less fortunate, those who need food and different things. If you want more information, you can contact us, and we can get you in contact with them, and they are twice a week. They are serving and giving food to those in need. And obviously they're doing it. They're social distancing. They're wearing masks and gloves and, and uh, packing boxes and doing different things uh, like that as well. But um, I did want to mention another thing that we have kind of joined up with. Some of you may have gone online and seen Unite 714. And I, I just kind of want to bring this to your attention for just a moment. But Unite 714 is a prayer movement. It's okay. It's a prayer movement um, that was founded by ARC, the Association of Related Churches, who we're, we're a member of. And uh, a bunch of pastors and leaders have jumped on board with this thing. And the whole idea is they're writing a prayer for each week. And at 7.14 every morning and at 7.14 p.m. every evening, they're asking everybody to read that week's prayer together. And what they're hoping is that millions and millions of people will be praying the same things at the same time all across the globe. And, um, and this, this has been put together. Uh, this is contributors to this have been Chris Hodges, Rick Warren, Craig Rochelle, Robert Morris, Christine Kane, Stephen Furtick, uh, Brian Houston, Samuel Rodriguez, Greg Surratt, Jensen Franklin, Greg Laurie, Miles McPherson, Lou Engel, Dino Rizzo, Lisa Turkhurst, John Siebling, Tony Perkins, Larry Stockstill, Joe Champion, Jimmy Evans. There's a ton of others that are all a part of this. And so I just thought we would take just a moment. I wanted to read this week's prayer. It was released this morning. On Sunday mornings, the prayer is released. As I said, you can go to unite714.com and have this prayer. But I just wanted us just to take a moment and pray for our nation and pray for our world. And, and I just want us to pray together this prayer um, that they have released today. So if you all would, just join us in prayer as we pray this. Lord, we come to you in prayer today, believing the promise in 2 Chronicles 7.14, that if we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, you will heal, hear our prayer and heal our land. Our community, nation, and world are in desperate need of your help, your comfort, and your healing power. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for turning our hearts away from you. Hear our cry today as we join with the body of Christ around the world to stand together against the COVID-19 crisis. Lord, strengthen our minds and emotions with the truth that you are greater than COVID-19. Your righteousness protects our hearts from despair. Your word enables us to walk through this crisis in peace. Although this is a physical disease, as believers, we know that the enemy wants to take advantage of this moment. Together, we stand in faith against the powers of darkness in this evil day. We put on the whole armor of God and we stand firm on the promises of your word. With your armor, we stand protected from the fiery darts of panic and fear. We take up the shield of faith on behalf of our families, our churches, our cities, our nation, and the nations of the world. The hope of salvation is our battle helmet. 
We declare the promise in your word that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Therefore, we pray in faith that COVID-19 will be eradicated, panic will stop, and God's power will fill the earth. We humbly ask all these things in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Y'all in agreement on that? I encourage you guys, get a copy of it. It's got a couple of encouraging scriptures. You can print the page from each week off their website. And I encourage you guys every day, at least once a day, pull it out and pray it together as a family as we join with millions of other believers around the world. Amen? I want to mention before I get on into the message that, uh, that we are here to serve you. We want you to continue to reach out to us, that online connection card that we put on. As my dad had said, there is a place for you to submit your prayer requests. Please put those in. Know they are being sent out. Our prayer team is still praying every day um, over those. But we still want you to submit your prayer requests. We are a family. Also, as was mentioned, next week is Easter Sunday, and I'm sorry we are not able to meet together corporately, but we are going to meet together in the Spirit, and we are going to take communion. So as Shauna said, gather whatever you can as far as communion elements. Uh, if you have a piece of bread and some juice or some water, whatever it may be, just a cracker, it doesn't matter. Uh, how many of you know it doesn't matter exactly what it is that we take? It's all a symbol. It's us identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So gather together, have it ready for you and your children, and it, aren't you glad? that we don't have to go to some priest. We don't have to meet in a building, go to some priest in order to receive communion. We are royal priesthood in a holy nation. And so we are going to take communion together at the end of our Easter service next week. So we thank you guys for being faithful. We thank you for joining us with your families and uh, not just to watch, but to join in and to participate as we get together into God's word. Also, right before we jump in, I want to say too, I know that many of you, we got messages, I know many of you enjoyed Michael Turner last week, and I, I'm so sorry that we weren't able to have the night of worship. We didn't feel like it was the best thing uh, at this point, and once this thing is all over with, we will have a blowout night of worship together. Um, but, uh, but I know that you guys, many of you had sent us messages and talked about how much you enjoyed his message, and, um, and uh, even the couple of songs that he was able to share in the midst of all that. Y'all pray for them. They hit the road this morning, and they are headed back to California. Guys, be in prayer for the Turners. Pretty much every ministry opportunity they had was canceled. Uh, some of them were canceled the day before. And, uh, and that's tough because this was their time to travel all over the U.S. And so they were able to, tra they were able to minister in Los Angeles. They were able to, travel, they were able to minister uh, here at, uh, at one church in this area and then our church last Sunday morning and that was it. And they're headed all the way back to California. So you guys be in prayer for them. But I do want to commend you on this. Guys, we didn't know how much would be given last week to Michael and Natasha and the family. And so we had a, a set amount set aside to give them, to bless them for their time. Um, you guys like doubled that uh, with your giving. And we were able to bless them with pretty much the same amount that we would have uh, that we, we did last year when they came and did a Sunday morning and a night of worship. And so, um, so they were definitely overjoyed and blessed with what you guys gave. So that is, uh, God honors you and blesses you for that. And I know, uh, I know the Turners are excited as well. If this is your first time joining us at Harvest, we do want to tell you that we're excited that you're with us. We're in the middle of an eight-week, I'm sorry, we are on week eight of a 31-week series uh, called The Story. And we are covering the Bible from cover to cover. And uh, everybody, our children, our students, our adults, everybody is getting in on this together. And uh, as Shauna said, keep posting, your, uh, keep posting your pictures from meals together. We, uh, about week three or four, numbers started dipping on the number of pictures that were being posted. But now that everybody's home, 
home, numbers are going back up, and we're so glad that you guys are able to meet face-to-face as a family and have a meal together and take a picture and post it for everybody to see. Man, we are short on time because I have talked so long already. I did want to do a quick recap. I want to talk just a second about last week, two weeks ago, because uh, I want you to see kind of where we've come from the book of Joshua to the book of Judges. Hopefully you guys have read chapter 8 um, for this week. But uh, we talked about last week about Joshua, uh, two weeks ago about Joshua, how the children of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness, but this time had come to an end, and they had finally entered the promised land. And they had seven years of just unbridled success. They were pretty much unstoppable. They defeated over 30 kings. They went over 20 battles. They reclaimed over 10,000 square miles of land. They had seven years of success. And the Bible says the Lord gave them the land. It says he gave them rest. It says that not one of their enemies was able to stand against them. And it says that all God promised them came to pass. Guys, what a promise for us. It was a new season and a fresh start for Israel, just like we can enter into new seasons and fresh starts no matter where we have come or what we have walked through. I, uh, real quickly, I gave you three things last week. I told Two weeks ago, I told you that the book of Joshua is a book of inheritance. They didn't go back home after all this saying, look what we did. They went, went back home saying, we have finally received what God has promised us. God got all the glory and all the honor for it. Because if you remember just one generation earlier, they had been one to three million people enslaved slavery in Egypt. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness as shepherds. They were not a military force, but now they were living out of their inheritance. The second thing I mentioned two weeks ago is you've got to choose whether you live out of your inheritance or of your circumstance. We talked about how we're not just servants of God. We're not just saints of God. We are sons and we are daughters of God. We have an inheritance. We're invited to sit at his table. Our names are written in his book. And really, if even if we were distant heirs of Jesus, it would be a great honor, but the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. So whatever Jesus receives, we receive. We have equal standing in heaven by grace. And we know that Joshua understood this inheritance, and so he moved into the promised land because he understood what God had promised. He didn't let the Jordan River, he didn't let fortified cities, he didn't let evil kings or even giants keep them from moving forward. He believed what God said and kept moving step by step forward. And the third thing I mentioned was you have to, be, you have to choose to receive your inheritance. When you look at the circumstances and the problems in life, guys, it's going to get you down. It's going to be discouraging. Instead, we've got to look at what the Heavenly Father has promised in His Word. We've got to choose to live out of our inheritance. And that means that doesn't mean that life is always easy, but we recognize sometimes that life is tough, but we've got the Holy Spirit indwelt within us, and He's never going to allow anything to come our way that we can't handle together with Him. And that makes all the difference in the world. We just realize that we have to change our mindset. So God believes in you. God has given you an inheritance. We've got to live out of that inheritance and live out of the promised land in every area of our life. So today we move into the book of Judges. And let me tell you, the book of Judges, there is a stark contrast between the book of Joshua and the book of, jo- uh, book of Judges. It's completely, completely different. And so I'm going to read here for a minute. We're going to start in jo- Judges chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 20 because I want you to see from what we just talked about in the book of Joshua, I want you to see the transition and what has happened in one generation, guys. One generation has passed. Here's what's happened. In Judges chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's a good long life. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. 
And after the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, they had died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals, false gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods and the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the, served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Again, false gods. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. And whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was the judge and would save them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, look at this, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Do you see the stark contrast in what has happened as one generation has passed from this great time of victory to the book of Judges? So after this great victory in the book of Joshua, in one generation, the children of Israel have turned their backs on the Lord and they have done evil in his sight. So as the Lord had promised, he did not save them from invading raiders or surrounding nations that came in and would attack. In fact, if you looked at some of the supplements to the story, one of the books said that out of 330 years, that the book of Joshua, I'm sorry, the book of Judges covers about 330 years. Out of that 330 years that make up the book of Judges, they spent 111 of them in oppression. A third of the time they spent in oppression because they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But it also tells us that however, when the people would cry out to the Lord, he would raise up a judge to deliver them. And actually the Bible tells us this happened 12 times. Do you see the cycle? 12 times they would do evil in the sight of the Lord. God would raise up a judge who would rescue them. And again, they would turn their back on the Lord. So when we think of a judge, we probably think of somebody, a person in authority in a courtroom who, who wears a gown and, uh, and makes judgments with a gavel. And maybe you, think of, maybe you think of Judge Judy. I don't know. My mom loves to watch Judge Judy. Um, you know, I, or maybe I, I, saw, uh, I saw Jerry Springer has a new judge show, Judge Jerry. I, yeah, I don't, won't even comment on that any further. But, um, but the judges in the book of Judges are different. They weren't like that. They did bring rulings. The people did come to them with issues, and they would bring rulings. However, these judges were by no means perfect, but they were chosen by the Lord, and we're told that they were bold warriors. And many times the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them and empower them for a special calling on their life. And so they're considered to be 11 or 12 judges that are mentioned in the book of Judges. Our passage from the story just mentions a few. It mentions Othniel, who was the, the nephew of Caleb. It mentions Deborah. It mentions Gideon. And it mentions Samson. So 
My question is, how in the world did things go so bad from the book of Joshua to the book of Judges? What happened to bring them to this place? Well, we have some clues. If you look, if you go back to Judges chapter 1, in Judges chapter 1, verse 28, and by the way, your notes are on the YouVersion Bible app if you do want to follow along on a different device. In Judges chapter 1, verse 28, it says, When Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but never drove them out completely. Now, the Canaanites were the inhabitants of the land before the Israelites. They were inhabiting the land that God had promised to them. So it says that the Israelites pressed them into forced labor, basically made them slaves, but never drove them out. Now, God had specifically told them not to leave the inhabitants in the land. It was a command. He said, he'd said, kill them. He said, drive them out. So here's what happened. Israel didn't do what God said. They didn't drive the Canaanites completely out of the land. Instead, they put them into this forced labor, basically make them slaves, but did not obey the Lord and drive them out. And then if you go down to Judges chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, They forsook the Lord their God, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. Do you see what happened? Who are the people around them? Said they serve the gods, the people around them. The people around them are the people they didn't drive out. It's the Canaanites. Even some of them were their very slaves. I believe they had slaves in their homes. People who served the Most High God had slaves in their homes who were worshiping foreign gods. They allowed something in that never should have been allowed. And God had warned them of it. And he said to drive them out completely. These people are all around them who are still worshiping these false gods and influencing the people of the one true God. And how many of you know that even today, our environment can influence us toward wrong? Our environment, what we, the things we allow around us, the things we allow in our homes can influence us toward wrong. The words and actions of those around us can lead us in a way that is contrary to God's will, that can, contrary to God's upper story that we're trying to mesh our lower story into. And it can happen without us even recognizing it. We need to be aware of what the people around us, the people closest to us, what they are saying and what they are doing because it can keep us from moving forward. That's why when Sean and I were youth pastors, we pressed and so much and expressed that it's so important the friends that you choose because they will influence you regardless of whether you recognize it or not many times it happens slowly and it's a process and it progresses along and next thing you know you're not who you were before so that's one of the reasons I believe that this happened is because they didn't obey the Lord's command and they didn't drive out these Canaanites who were serving these false gods. I believe another reason they got themselves in trouble, uh, if we go back a couple of verses, Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, again, this just means they had died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. How did a whole generation grow up? I mean, you've got the generation from the book of Joshua who had seen the great miracles and seen the deliverance of the Lord. How did their children grow up and not know the Lord or what he had done for Israel? Tells me that they didn't teach their children the ways of the Lord. They didn't teach them. They didn't pass it along. And I'm not just talking about teaching them with words. I'm talking about living it out and displaying their faith in the one true God. I believe what happened was they won all these victories. They're in the promised land. And I believe, I believe they simply got comfortable. 
They were, as I said a couple weeks ago, they inherited all this land, they inherited houses, and they inherited vineyards, and they inherited cattle. Suddenly, they had everything that they needed, where before, for 40 years, they had depended solely on God. Now they're comfortable. They're comfortable in their everyday life in the promised land, and they didn't pass it on to their children. The Lord slipped through the cracks. That's why the Bible is so clear that we have to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. Because you realize that if we don't raise our children in the ways of the Lord, Christianity is one generation away from extinction. Our children are our future. We have to invest in them. And I believe this is one of the major things that the children of Israel missed after they came into the promised land. So I believe those are a couple of the reasons why they got into the trouble that they did. So after Joshua, the people forgot the Lord their God, and it says that they served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. So the people were sold into slavery. I believe firstly it was to King Aram of Naharim, and they were sold into slavery with him for eight years, sold into captivity for eight years under him. And the Bible says that finally they cry out to the Lord, and he raises up Caleb. Remember Caleb? They raise up, he raises up Caleb's nephew, Othniel, as a judge. And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he led the people to war. And with the Lord, they overpowered their oppressors, and they had 40 years of peace until, guess what? That judge, Othniel, died. That's what we just read a few minutes ago. Every time a judge died, the people would turn away again, right? So the people turn away from the Lord. So this time, next, the people were oppressed by the Moabites. And they were oppressed by the Moabites for 18 years. And again, finally, the people cry out to the Lord. And God raises up Ahud as a judge. The Bible says that Ehud, he kills the Moabite leader. And there was peace for another 80 years until, guess what? Ehud dies. The next judge dies. So again, the people do evil in the sight of the Lord. This time they're sold into oppression of King Jabin of Canaan. This time it says for 20 years. And again, they cry out to the Lord for help. This time the Lord raises up Deborah. Deborah is the only female judge mentioned in the Bible. Deborah and a man named Barak lead Israel against Canaan and destroy them. And this goes on and on, and we'll talk about a couple more of them. But first thing I want to do is I want to give you three things, three things I, want to, I think that we can learn from the book of Judges. Number one, first thing we can learn from the book of Judges is we cannot allow the cycle of sin in our life. Guys, it is not a time for us to allow ourselves continue in habitual sin and that cycle of sin, turning to God and turning back and turning to God and turning back and turning to God and turning back again. This Bible tells us that in the book of Judges, this happened 12 times. Do you see the cycle that's happening here? We've all been there before. And let me, let me mention this cycle real quick before I get on to number two. So the first thing that would happen is, uh, first, the people would sin. Now, Moses had warned them not to forget the word of the Lord. They obviously forgot the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9 says, and this is Moses speaking. He says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them to your, diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How many of you know this is pretty serious? 
Uh, the, the Jews still do much of this today. If you've ever been in the home of a Jewish family, they still have the word of the Lord on the doorposts of of, of their, around their house, of their door frames. Israel had been called apart to be a holy people and a holy nation. And he, they, Moses had warned them by the word of the Lord not to forget the word of the Lord. But they got to the promised land and they got complacent. And, I, you know, I think that sometimes initially as we read this, it can be a little hard for us to identify with the children of Israel and their attraction to what the Bible says it calls the bales and the asterisks. But how often do we get complacent in the world today? How often do we put things in our lives at a place of more importance than the Lord? We exalt things higher than we do Him. And I don't know what it is in your life. It's different for each of us. But it could be, it could be your family. It could be your relationship or your spouse. It could be your children. It could be sports. It could be money. It could be stuff. But we definitely are good at finding things to put at a higher level than God in our life, a higher level of importance in our life. And in reality, it's the same thing. We can't allow things in our lives to take precedence over our relationship to the Lord. So the first thing in this cycle, we can't allow the cycle of sin to rule in our lives. So the first part of the cycle is the people would sin. The second thing is the people will become oppressed. So as a result of their sin, God would remove his hand of protection from them. He promised this. He promised this earlier. I just, I just read it yesterday in the book of Deuteronomy. He promised that if they turned from him, that he would remove his hand of protection from them. And so he allowed surrounding nations and raiders to come in and to oppress his people. And we know that there were six pagan nations that oppressed his people. There was the Mesopotamians who oppressed them for eight years, the Moabites for 18 years, the Canaanites for 20 years, the Midianites for seven years, the Ammonites for 18 years, and the Philistines for 40 years. That equals what I mentioned a minute ago, 100 and, what was it? I think it was 111 years uh, that they were in oppression um, because of their disobedience. But how many of us have been under the oppression of sin? Of course, we all have before. And it's, it can be so heavy. The weight of sin in our lives is so heavy. It will weigh you down. It will burn you out. It's a terrible burden. But thank goodness for Jesus who took that burden so that we didn't have to carry it. All we have to do is repent and we have to lay those things at his feet. We weren't meant to carry that burden and that weight of sin. But sometimes we get stubborn and we choose to hold on to those things and refuse to let go of them. And it drags us down into a dark place. And that's where the children of Israel would find themselves. So they, the cycle, they would sin, they would become oppressed. Thirdly, they would repent and cry out to God. Now, the oppressed people would finally, they would finally turn or return to the Lord, it would say. And they would make this decision to repent and turn 180 degrees and go the other direction. And that's really what repentance is. Repentance is not saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is turning from it and going the other direction. And, you know, how many of us have had to hit rock bottom before, before we were really, truly willing to stop and to repent and turn to the Lord? But repentance is where everything really begins to change. This is all the Lord needs to begin to intervene and show himself strong as a deliverer in our lives is for us to stop and repent and humble ourselves before him. So for Israel, they, as they cried out, God would raise up a judge who served as their deliverer. So Othniel delivered them from the Mesopotamians. Ehud delivers them from the Moabites. Deborah delivers them from the Canaanites. Gideon delivers them from the Midianites. Japheth delivers them from the 
Amorites, and Samson delivers them from the Philistines. And there's a few more in there that, that aren't mentioned in the story. You can read further in the book of Judges. But here's the good news. God does the same for us. We may turn from him, but he's waiting for us. Just like the father in the prodigal son, he's standing there with arms wide open. And he's ready to be our comfort and our deliverer and our, our mighty deliverer on our side. So the people would sin. They would become oppressed. They would repent and cry out to God. And then the last thing they would do in this cycle is the people would experience deliverance. How many of you would say, thank God for deliverance? Even in his disappointment, even in his anger, God always responded when the people cried out to him. People think that God was this harsh, evil God. No, he responded when his people humbled themselves and cried out to him. He is that father with arms open wide, ready to receive us back. As a follower of Christ, deliverance from sin and oppression, disease, whatever it may be, those things are all available to us if we simply stop and humble ourselves and turn to the Lord. He is ready there to be our deliverer. So number one, is we cannot allow the cycle of sin to continue in our lives. Guys, we've all been there, but it's time to break it. It's time to stop that in our lives. Number two, second point I want to make from the book of Judges is we are not ordinary. We are not ordinary. We live in a culture where we like to compare ourselves to everybody else. Sometimes we just want to fit in and be like the crowd, but we are not called to be ordinary. We know that later on, the people did evil in the sight of the Lord. So this is later on after Deborah. We know that the time, the, this time the Midianites rose up against Israel, and the Bible tells us the Midianites were just cruel. The Midianites would come in with their raiders, and they would come in and they would just simply destroy all their crops and kill all their sheep and kill all their cattle and all their donkeys. And the Bible says the oppression, they oppressed them so harshly that the children of God would go and they would hide themselves in mountain clefts and caves just to hide from the Midianites. And in Judges 6 verse 7, it says the people finally cry out to the Lord because of this, this oppression of the Midianites. And in, if you go down to verse 11, in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says that God sends an angel to a man named Gideon. Now, this angel finds Gideon beating wheat in a wine press. Now, we know that this was not a normal occurrence. You didn't beat wheat in a wine press. Normally, what we see is you would take your wheat and you would take it to the top of a high hill or mountain and you would beat the wheat up there. And what it would do is it would separate the wheat from the chaff and the wind blowing up there would blow the chaff away from the wheat. It would separate it. But Gideon knew that if he did that, if he went up on top of a high hill, he knew that the Midianites would see what he was doing and they would come and take and destroy whatever it was that he had, this, this wheat. And so he's doing this in secret. He's, he's hiding out in this wine, wine press, and he's trying to beat this wheat in the wine press. So if you jump over a couple chapters to Judges chapter 6, we'll see here, it takes up where the angel of the Lord appears to him. And it says in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. 
And it says, And the Lord turned to him, to Gideon, and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Now, we know initially as this angel appears to Gideon, he is hiding out in this wine press from the Midianites. But what's the first thing the angel says? The first thing he says is, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That had to be startling to Gideon. He didn't feel like a mighty man of valor. How do we know? Because of the next verse where he immediately starts questioning, saying, where's the Lord that our fathers told us about? How can I do anything? I'm from the weakest clan. I am the least in my family. And guys, as you know, as we've been following along in the story in the Old Testament, this is one of the common themes that we see. God tends to choose the least qualified, the least likely person. You may think that you are weak, you may think that you are inadequate, but you are not ordinary. God looks and he sees things in you that you and I can't see. He sees things in me that I can't possibly see. When he looks inside of us, he sees the very best version of us that he created and he calls that forth. He calls forth the potential within us and he will move us from a place of fear to a place of faith. A few years ago, um, Sean and I had the honor of seeing um, the statue of David by Michelangelo, if you're familiar with that. And um, let me tell you, it is, it's stunning. It's, it's much bigger than you would ever thought it was. And it's so detailed that you can see the very veins in David's arms. It's, it's just, it's utterly amazing. But I, I remember reading years ago that somebody asked Michelangelo, said, said, how in the world were you able to sculpt such a magnificent image, such a magnificent, magnificent statue? And Michelangelo repeat, uh, answered him and said, it was easy. I cut away everything that didn't look like David. You know, it's not easy always to walk with the Lord because he's going to systematically cut away everything that doesn't look like the true you. When you truly look like, walk with him, he's going to begin cutting things away. And it's not always an easy process. Uh, by the, but by the time he's done with you, you're going to look exactly the way he created you to be. You're not ordinary. You are special, and God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. So this time, God raises up Gideon to be the judge who will bring deliverance to God's people, the least likely, the least qualified, God raises him up and says, you're the one. And God uses him to bring deliverance to his people. So the first thing I mentioned is you cannot allow the cycle of sin to rule your life any longer. Secondly, remember that you are not ordinary. And the last thing I want to mention, number three, when you choose the Lord, he will be with you. When you choose the Lord, he will be with you. Guys, that may sound like, a, well, yeah, of course, I know that. But you remember when Gideon had just asked the Lord how in the world, he said, how in the world can you use me? And he began to list his inadequacies. What does the Lord say to him? If you look at Judges chapter 6, it's the next verse actually, verse 16. The Lord answers Gideon. This is the Lord's answer to Gideon. When Gideon says, I'm not enough, this is the Lord's answer. The Lord answered and said, five words, it'll change everything. 
I will be with you. He said, I will be with you and I will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Guys, for somebody who considers himself utterly inadequate, those five words, I will be with you, changes everything. Changes everything. Those five words will turn your entire world upside down. I was thinking, you realize it's the same phrase that Jesus used? It was the last words that he said while he was on the earth. The last words that Jesus said as he was leaving his disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse 20, he said, And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I don't know about you, but I, I figure somebody's last words, especially Jesus, or something to, is something that is important. And if Jesus says, I will be with you, I'm going to take his word at it, and I'm going to believe that he's going to be with me. How about you? I am with you always. You know, those five words can change everything, but how often do we believe lies over the truth? And I was thinking of some of the five-word lies that we buy into. Listen to this. How many of you ever heard some of these things spoken over your life? Maybe somebody has said, it's too late for you. Or, you've messed up too much. It's never going to happen. You will just fail again. You're never going to change. You will always be alone. You've failed as a mom. You're just like your dad. You've wasted too much time. You are on your own. God's done giving you chances. There are a lot of other five-word phrases that are other lies that will tear us down. But unfortunately, many times people buy into those things and they believe them and it keeps them from accomplishing the purpose and plan that God has for their lives. It will hold them back. It will keep them down. They'll never be able to move forward until they can give up those lies. Believe them for what they are. Lies from the pit of hell. It's not what God says. God says, I will be with you. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter how inadequate you may think you are in the natural it doesn't matter how you failed God says I will be with you God's favor and his identity is in you don't believe the lies and here's the thing if God can use these five words if God can use these imperfect judges God can use you he can use you and that's what gives real meaning to Romans 8.31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Guys, he says, I will be with you. And if he is for you, who can possibly be against you? You can do everything that God has called you to do in this life. Amen? I want to call our worship team up as we close here in just a moment. Guys, I want to remind you that you are more than a conqueror.
It doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't matter what people say to you. It doesn't matter what report the news gives. You are more than a conqueror. God says he will be with you. And you can overcome in Jesus' name. How many of you believe it? How many of you truly believe it where you're sitting today? That with him you are more than a conqueror. How many of you truly believe that he will never leave you or forsake you? Like Gideon, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you think you are. Who does God say that you are? He loves you. He's got your back. He wants to walk with you. So the three things that I mentioned today, remember, don't allow the cycle of sin to rule your life. Guys, if you are struggling in sin, you need somebody to talk to. You need an accountability partner. You need to daily be confessing and, and, and repenting and giving that thing to the Lord. It's not a time. I, it is too important now for the church to rise up and be who it's called to be. We can't waste our time messed up in the cycle of sin like we saw the children of Israel do and like we've each probably done in our lives at different points in the past. Don't allow the cycle of sin to rule your life. Number two, you are not ordinary. It doesn't matter what your family looks like. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter whether you have a college degree. It doesn't matter what your mom or your dad did. It doesn't matter how much you think you messed up in the past. You are not ordinary because God is with you and he has chosen you. And lastly, remember that when you choose the Lord, he will be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Doesn't matter what happens in this world. He's got your back. He's walking with you, the creator of the universe. He will never let you down. If you stumble, he's there to pick you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, right where you're at, right in your home, I just want everybody to just bow their heads together real quick. And I don't, I don't know who's watching. Man, we've got a slew of people watching online right now. And you may be with us right now. And you would say, you know what? You say that the Lord will be with me, but I haven't even surrendered my life to Jesus before. I don't even really know what that means. I've been living my life for myself. You may be right now thinking, I'm desperate for a change. And let me tell you right now, the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart. He's giving you a little nudge right now, and I believe that you feel it down deep inside, and you know that it's time to make a change. And so we're going to pray a prayer together. And guys, it really is this easy. We humble ourselves. We repent, meaning I'm going to leave my old life behind. And I'm going to choose to do things God's way from now on. And I'm going to follow him. We choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. The son of the living God. The lamb of God who took the sins of the world. He took your sins. Spotless lamb. He took your sin. He took your punishment. He took mine. He took exactly what we deserved. And he willingly went to that cross and paid the price for you so that you wouldn't have to. And now if you will just receive him as your spotless lamb, if you'll receive him as your sacrifice, you can be assured that when you take that last breath here on earth that you'll spend forever in heaven in a place where there is no sorrow and no pain, no COVID-19, there's no worries. There's just love and worship of the Most High God. You can be assured that that's your eternity. That's your destiny and your future. But even more so, 
Eternal life doesn't start when you take your last breath. It starts right now when you make that decision with all your heart. We're going to pray this prayer together. And if you believe it, the Bible says that you will become a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. And you can be assured that no matter what you encounter, God's truth applies to you when he says, I will be with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I've tried living this life on my own. I've tried living it in my own strength. I've tried figuring it, on out, it all out. But it's all led to failure. Lord, I'm a failure without you. So today, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord, as master of my life. I believe that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I believe that you willingly went to that cross and you took my sin and my guilt and my shame and you allowed it to be nailed to that tree and you took it for me. You paid my price. You paid the ransom. You took it to the grave. And now you call me free. I receive you as my Lord. And I thank you that I am now co-heirs with you, Jesus. And what you receive, I receive. As you receive peace, I receive peace. As you have that healing power, I receive that healing power. Jesus, I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Empower me with the gifts of the Spirit that I can fulfill everything that you've called me to be. We give you honor and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer, whether you're watching live right now or whether you're watching months or years from now online, it applies to you and God has just done a miracle in your life. And we want you to let us know. Uh, we're going to post again here in just a moment the post for our connection card. And we ask you, in just a moment, you can click that link and you can go through and just give us a little information, your name and uh, a little information about you. And just put on there, I chose to commit my life to Christ today. And we want to reach out to you. We, we will probably have somebody contact you and pray with you because, guys, we want to send you forth equipped and ready to take these first steps in your Christian walk in this life. We are excited for you. The Bible says that all heaven rejoices when one gives their life to Jesus. Church, as we close, it is time for us to rise up in strength and in faith and in courage. I believe that right now, in the midst of this worldwide pandemic and crisis, I believe that this is the church's finest hour yet. So be encouraged. I jotted down a few scriptures I want to give you, just encourage you before we leave. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me give you one more. Romans 8.38 and 39. For I am sure that neither, neither life nor death Neither angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are not ordinary. Rise up in strength and in faith and in courage. Allow the Lord to be your strength and allow Him to pull that potential out of you and bring you into what He's called you to. Guys, in this uncertain time, we serve a very certain God. And I'm going to leave you with the same scripture I led you with, left you with last two weeks ago. John 16, Jesus says, I've told you all this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable. Everybody say unshakable. And you will be assured. Say assured. And you will be deeply at peace. Say deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. We're experiencing that right now, right? But take heart, I have conquered the world. Guys, be assured, be at peace, be unshakable in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, don't forget next week is Easter Sunday. We're going to do a couple of special things. Be sure to have your communion elements ready before we start the live stream next Sunday morning. Also, don't forget to click on the live stream and fill out your connection card. I, I don't know if that was just put up or not, but we'll put it up again here in a second. Fill out your connection card and let us know you're here. And guys, we're going to dismiss with that. We're going to leave the live stream running for just a minute. We're going to let the team lead us one more time and one more song. And with that, you guys have a blessed week. We love you. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.